Hello, welcome back to the Curious Climber podcast. So in this episode, I'm talking to Natalie Brown. She is a female athlete researcher at the Welsh Institute of Sports Science. So she previously did a PhD looking at hormone responses to training, and she noticed a really big difference in the responses between men and women. So that combined with her personal experience as a competitive swimmer, got her really interested in more specific research into the female athlete. So it's a pretty broad topic, but we talk about where she wants to go with her research, where she's currently going with that research. The moment she's looking quite a lot into education um, around menstrual cycle and around different experiences that female athletes might have and how we can get more comfortable talking about them. She also has an interest in the kind of challenge threat response and how female hormones potentially play into that. So there's lots of interesting content. Um, I hope you really enjoy our conversation. Cool. Okay, so we're recording. Thank you, first of all, Natalie, for um, having a conversation with me today. Maybe a good place to start would be if you could give us a bit of background into where you're based and what it is you do. Thanks, Mina. It's great to be here talking to you today. Um, So I am based in Wales, in Swansea. Um, I am a research scientist with the Welsh Institute of Performance Science. So that's a collaboration between Swansea University and Sport Wales. Um, And I help, especially in the kind of more elite sports strand um, with some of their research. And at the moment, that's, and for, wow, uh, almost two years now has been in just around the female athlete. Wow, that's... That's pretty kind of specialist, I guess, for sports science. And uh, I mean, it sounds strange to say that because it shouldn't be really. It's it's 50% of the population, but I think it is still considered, I guess, quite a specialist area. How did you get into that? So I suppose it's kind of a combination of things, really. A, probably my personal interests, so a bit of my own personal experience. And then um, B, then when I started in my this role I'm in now, That was actually, it was kind of brought up that we probably need to look a bit more into female athletes. And that was the broad umbrella term that they gave me as a research project they wanted me to look into. Um, So kind of a combination of my own direction and that being brought up as something that maybe needs to be investigated a bit more, um, kind of has really pushed forward and uh, initiated this project now. Okay, cool. So in terms of your personal background, you were a swimmer, am I right? Um, Quite competitive swimmer. So you've kind of come into this, obviously, as a a female athlete yourself, having had a whole bunch of experiences. Has that really informed or kind of spiked a lot of your interest in going into this area? Yeah, 100%. So I suppose to give you a little bit of a background, so I was a competitive swimmer, um, but when I was swimming... I can just remember experiencing just the worst stomach cramps. And when you're trying to swim in the pool, all I wanted to do was be in a little fetal position. And instead I was like trying to be like stretched out and flat in the water. And it was not anything that was ever discussed. So I'd even just kind of say like, I've got a bad stomach rather than saying, actually it's like periods and like Mm. menstrual cramps. Um, So in order to manage that, I went on the contraceptive pill. Um, And that was great because it reduced my symptoms, um, carried on swimming. But I got to a point I can remember when I had to, um, went to the doctors to get a new lot of contraceptive pill and they were just like, oh, it's exactly the same pill. It's just a different branding. Take this one. And I just, the symptoms I got as a result of this different pill I just turned into a bit of a fruit loop, um, just kind of quite irrational, very like emotional. So just kind of took the decision then to actually go back to having a natural cycle um, and coinciding with that, then started kind of tracking it and becoming just really intrigued really is actually that initiated the response of actually how are my hormones causing so many different symptoms and making me feel like that? So really started tracking my cycle to become more aware of myself and actually what am I like at different times of my month, like in the month um, 
and how does that as I kind of went more and more down the line with that actually did that affect my sport performance how did it make me feel on a day-to-day basis so yeah it really kind of Mm. initiated um like that personal interest really initiated um looking into this area sure and because obviously going on the pill initially was a really positive experience for you right because it got rid of loads of loads of your symptoms so when you came back to having a natural cycle was that something you were then I mean presumably your cramps came back in the same way that they did before did you have did you then find other ways to deal with those same issues yeah definitely so it's a bit of a shock actually when you first come when I first started, came off um, the contraceptive and was like, oh my gosh, this is what a natural cycle is like. Just things like bleeding was like heavier because it had been so light when I was on a contraceptive. Um, symptoms were, definitely had cramps back. And one thing I noticed a lot was actually more, more variation in my mood. So it was great because at some points in my cycle, I was like, I'm way happier than what mm-hmm. I was, was on the contraceptive. But on the flip side, I also experience a lot more change and variation so then the week before definitely started getting more agitated and irritable um and even to the point to start off with I was like oh you know do I want to deal with the changes in my emotions it was actually much flatter when I was um on the contraceptive but kind of came to the decision that actually it's quite nice feeling I'm really happy and having the majority of the month when I actually do feel really positive, really motivated. Um, I want to train um, I want to do things rather than actually the whole month just being a bit like, yeah, maybe not so bothered, not first what I yeah. do. It's really interesting to hear you say that actually, because I know obviously different women will have different experiences on and off various different pills, but I can really kind of... Um, appreciate what you're saying because I was quite similar very I was quite happily on the pill for years and years and years and thought you know nothing of it but you know now I can look back and think gosh I was really quite flatlined and now I'm much more kind of changeable like you say but happier I think you know you have more highs and um I joke with my boyfriend I'm a bit of a nicer person now most of the time (laughs) if you're lucky (laughs) um but yeah, that's really interesting. So there's almost a lot more to look at and handle, but there's something in the way you're saying it, there's something positive about being a bit more in touch. Yeah, 100%. And actually, you know, you kind of asked how I manage that or do I do anything different? I think one of my biggest things is actually by, by tracking it and I've become more self-aware of it now, if that's almost allowed me to manage it. So actually, you know, I know straight away now, if I do start getting cramps, painkillers straight away and that eases it off and I feel much more able to manage that but also just how to manage my mood of linking the two together so actually if I'm having a bad day rather than just being like really frustrated and thinking why can't I do this today or why am I why have I not got motivation today I've actually now got that self-awareness to go actually it's okay it's the week before I'm doing my menstrual cycle what can I do to kind of make myself feel a bit better whether that's just sit down and chill or do a little bit of yoga or just kind of be a little bit nice to myself um yeah just kind of that's really helped so much and definitely definitely prefer it now I think I've got used to it um currently I yeah I wouldn't go back on any form of contraceptive as I am now yeah oh interesting um yeah I guess it gives you context doesn't it for things that you're going through and then you can kind of plan ahead you could even potentially plan to well we'll I guess maybe we'll talk about kind of um, physiology around training and stuff a, a little bit but you could plan a deload week and a week that you know for example you're going to feel um, from your own experience you're going to feel a little bit kind of below par um, but before we go on to that stuff before you specialized in um, before you started doing more research into female athlete you did a PhD about hormone response to training and that's partly um where your interest spiked in the female athlete can you tell us a bit about that because it sounded really interesting yeah so my phd was looking at um different forms of um using blood flow restriction or occlusion training so but as part of that um i actually looked at the hormonal responses to um using that form of training so one of the key aspects was could i use it um 
So it's a pre-competition strategy to try and reduce the testosterone decline throughout the day that you kind of normally have these fluctuations of a higher testosterone um, in the morning and through the day that declines. Okay. By doing exercise in the morning, we know we can try and reduce that decline throughout the day. So then that would be beneficial for performances in the afternoon and in the evening, um, especially like strength power type sessions. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. So um, we then looked at whether, but kind of previously, some of the research around that is use quite a high load, um, high intensity strength exercises, resistance exercises to achieve that, um, which a lot of athletes are just like day, day of competition, like no way am I going to lift 80% uh, of my one rep max. So sure. we kind of looked at using occlusion to combine with that. And through that, we then monitored the hormone, so testosterone and cortisol responses. Um, and what was really interesting is I did that in males and females. Mm. And I suppose that's the point where it really sparked my interest is actually how do female hormone profiles look compared to male hormone profiles? Okay, um, presumably they were quite different. Yeah, and the fact that there was not very, at that time, not a lot of research into female hormone profiles either. So trying to find what testosterone um, results look like was quite difficult. Mm. Um, and I suppose one of the reasons for that is because of how, how you monitor that across the cycle. So actually, if I did it week one and then week two, obviously that could be the difference between in follicular and pre and post ovulation. So it could be quite what different impact. regardless of yeah. your intervention. Yeah. Um, and then throw into the mix contraceptives as well. Mm. So actually from that research, it more kind of initiated more questions rather than answers, I'd say. But mm. all of these questions that I've kind of just touched on around actually what does testosterone responses look like throughout a female's menstrual cycle and does do contraceptives affect whether you still have that fluctuation in testosterone day to day or across the cycle? Um, and that, I suppose, really sparked my interest to look a little bit more in, actually made me realise, I was like, do you know what? I'm a female and I don't think I really know what happens to my hormones throughout a menstrual cycle. Yeah. Like, what does happen to oestrogen and progesterone and how does that interact with um, my brain? And so I think that was like my, my starting point. And then for myself as well, of being like, do you know what? I don't actually know about myself and how I work. So started looking more and more into that, really. Yeah, it's interesting that you hear that a lot with researchers. The more you learn, the more you realise you don't know. Um, yeah, and that, that's really interesting. Because um, obviously, sorry, I'm just kind of backtracking no. a little bit to the hormone response to the blood, uh, blood flow occlusion, because you've got to counteract uh, across both genders the effect of fatigue on the evening performance. And would the testosterone being higher throughout the day be more beneficial than any fatigue you might get from the morning session. So that's the the kind of finite balance of um, why we actually looked at putting the occlusion in to see actually would that cause the same response or would that cause increase or decrease amount of fatigue compared to a high intensity resistance exercise. Right, um, because with occlusion you can go at a much lower kind of 20-30% yeah. intensity. Sorry, I should have... Uh, no, no, I'm just kind of um, yeah. Yeah, checking, checking that with you, yeah. Yeah, so you can go much, much lower intensity with that because it almost provides the extra stimulus by, putting, by restricting the blood flow. So you can have a lot lower percentage of resistance exercise compared to if you didn't have occlusion and try and initiate the same response to that. Yeah, and did you, um, in, in this kind of study, did you how can I phrase it, like account for where women were in their menstrual cycle? Or was that something you realised afterwards, oh, we would need to do this in the future because it doesn't really make sense? Or were you doing, okay, it has to be week one of your period when we do the test? No, so we, what I did was we did, we did it throughout a cycle, but we tracked what that was. And that was actually quite interesting to see the difference. So um, right. where they were on day one compared to where they were on like day eight um, and I could have their baseline measures that we can make almost like relative so they were then both zero was and then we looked at the percentage change from that 
Right. Okay, but then yeah. within the study, then also actually commented from that that actually look at the variation in the results throughout that cycle. Um, what effect does that have on a female performance? Wow. Yeah, really. Yeah, really a lot to learn there. So that led you into your current role, am I right? Yeah. Which yeah. is focusing on female athletes and the menstrual cycle. And can you tell us a little bit about what you're looking into at the moment? What yeah, definitely. Yeah. So... If I start from where I actually started with my with this project, because I think that kind of will hopefully maybe tell like quite a nice story of where we're up to now. Sure. So started off with, um, like I said at the start, was almost given just this project of the female athlete. It's like, where do I begin with this? So broad. <laughs> <laughs> um, research project. What do I start with? So I actually started by recruiting um, female athletes, elite level to talk to them and basically try and understand their perceptions and experiences of the menstrual cycle in relation to training and competition. My reason for that was I kind of figured if the, all the females come back and say, no, it doesn't affect me in training and competition, actually, it's not something we need to look into any further. But on the flip side, it hopefully would have also directed what aspects I did need to look into. Um, with the comments coming back from that lived experience. Um, and that has been absolutely invaluable. Um, just the information that's come from that regarding symptoms that the female athletes experience, um, really interesting conversations with a few females that I kind of asked them, you know, does it affect your training at all? And they come back and say, no, it doesn't affect my training. I just adjust my sessions or now and again miss a session. And at that point, I was like, so it does affect your training if you have to miss it or adjust mm. it. I almost had this realization that you could see them going, oh, yeah, I've never really connected that actually my menstrual cycle does influence my training, mm. um, which was quite, and that wasn't across everyone, but definitely was um, quite consistent in a few females, which was um, kind of fascinating, really. Um, yeah. And from that we then kind of discussed more around actually how do you manage that um how do you manage your symptoms if it does affect you in training um and also around openness of conversations so actually you've just said to me you might have to adjust your training do you discuss that with your coach um and some of the findings were so varied from females saying yeah if it's affecting my performance i'm 100% going to say to my coach but on the opposite end of the spectrum, still some females are like, there's no way I'd ever bring this up. Um, I just either try and get on with it and manage or just say I don't feel so well today or I'm just, just, not, just not myself today rather than bringing up. Um, actually, it's because I'm due on my period and I feel mm. pretty rubbish today. Yeah, um, so there's still an element of kind of taboo and stigma lurking. Yeah, it definitely and actually more so than I probably thought was going to exist okay um I suppose again from personal experience um I didn't really talk about it my menstrual cycle when I was competing but it was just something I was like you just got to get on with it and just kind of persevere and push through um but actually that's still the case now um and females still not talking about it um, or have no awareness of how it does impact them in training and performance. So some females just reported they didn't have an awareness, um, would, weren't aware of if it affected them or not. Sure. And I imagine so, that that has a huge impact in, on individual decisions on whether or not to go on the pill or not, because the pill is like, it's almost like a, well, obviously it can kind of worsen symptoms for some people, but for a lot of female athletes, it's a kind of get out of jail card. It's like a, cool, I'll just go on the pill and then I can forget about it. Or at least maybe I should speak from personal experience. I felt a bit like that. It was a bit of like, oh, now I don't have to deal with this thing that is difficult anymore. And I imagine if there's taboo and stigma and you're kind of not really able to look at it and like track it like you did later on, um, it's going to affect those kinds of decisions. Definitely. I think it is still definitely one that's, it's really, it's just convenient. It's like, great. I can just 
not have a period at all with some forms of contraception or I can control it so I know exactly what day of every month I'm going to be due on my period so I can monitor that with training and competition. Um, so there definitely is still that element of it's really convenient and it's easier. Um, and in your interviews that you did, because you, you kind of had all these interviews with quite a lot of different female athletes, was that across different sports? or Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. Um, so mixed between climbing, athletics, gymnastics, weightlifting and judo. Okay. And did you see different trends within sports kind of cropping up? Um, I suppose the only one that really kind of came up slightly different was more in climbing and then a lot more of discussion around um, kind of fear, that um, perception of being more scared maybe to fall or go for a move. Um, But otherwise, it was quite surprisingly consistent comments um, that came out around symptoms or how it affected them. So maybe feeling less coordinated bit more clumsy um lacking motivation lower energy levels um they were kind of a lot of the key symptoms after the most predominant one being experiencing stomach cramps sure okay and did you have was it a prerequisite that they had to have a natural cycle for the interviews or did you interview athletes that were on the pill or on an iud or or kind of different situations yeah, I interviewed um, natural cycles and those on contraception um, purposely because I think it was able to give me greater insight. So actually, if I'd just interviewed everyone just having a natural cycle, that probably wouldn't have been representative of actually, you know, females that have gone it because it's more convenient or those that are on it because maybe they've had quite severe symptoms or managed it in relation to training and competition. That was actually quite an interesting point to hear whether females had taken that um the decision to have contraception whether that was for the purposes of not getting pregnant or actually specific to sport Mm. um, in comparison to those that had decided to continue having a natural cycle and how that impacted them in training Okay. Yeah. No, definitely. I guess it gives you a more, a kind of fuller clinical picture, doesn't it? Or, um, realistic picture of, of what's going on in in practice in the world. That's, I think it's because I was kind of investigating those experiences and lived experiences. I kind of wanted to, so I didn't purposely go in and say, right, I want five people that are on contraception, five that aren't. Um, I kind of, it was more purposeful from across different sports um, to then be able to see different individual females' experiences within their sport. Um, and like you said, did that vary between sports or was that consistent? Mm-hmm. And actually, it's surprisingly consistent other than, like I touched on with climbing. Um, yeah. That was probably one of the biggest differences was either just dealing with your period when you're out at a crag or out climbing um, and then that kind of risk element of maybe just more scared or a bit more irrational uh, that definitely came out more commonly within climbers rather than within other sports and was that generally uh, did, were women reporting that when they were on their period or was it like the week leading up to their period that they experienced that more generally the week leading up to and maybe like the first day but definitely after that first day of the period was experienced that seemed to decrease um, okay. So kind of that week before on the first day was when it was reported. Okay, interesting. And so then you did these interviews, so you kind of threw in a wide net to see what was out there, what was happening, what people knew already, and how people interacted with their kind of menstrual cycle pills and um, various different ways of um, managing as a female athlete. And where did that take you in your research? Yeah, so from that, one of the the key things that came out, um, and this was kind of, I suppose, in parallel to this of actually working with the sports and talking to coaches and the environment that they're in, definitely came out around this this conversation of knowledge and awareness and openness of conversation. I suppose that's kind of been the first path that I've gone down, um, mainly because having these discussions with different females and different coaches and actually I could go down the the route of let's look at how it does impact training 
physiologically what's happening. But actually, if females are still not openly talking about their menstrual cycle, then actually is that research going to be applied and be used? Um, so we've actually started off now by going more down the route of education and knowledge and trying to improve knowledge and awareness. Um, and with that, the links to improving that comfort of conversation. So it was definitely one of the things came out of the interviews perceived that everyone's worried that the other person would feel awkward that they were talking to. Okay. So right now, yeah. me talking, I'd be more worried that you'd feel awkward talking about the menstrual cycle rather than how I currently feel about it. Okay. Um, and linked with that was the um, perception of whether they've got the knowledge and confidence to have those conversations. Right. Okay. So, so it's knowing enough yourself. Now, yeah. Yeah. So I've just, um, I've been working now on a more of a coach education program. So the one thing that was, again, quite surprising for me was actually in within Welsh anyway, there's no content around the metro cycle within coach education um, qualifications. So wow. it's not touched on. It's not something that's discussed, even if you've got a coach that's at the top high performance coach and Olympic athlete, they may have never received any kind of formal form of knowledge, education, um, information about the metro cycle. So actually that's what I've started doing is trying to improve that a little bit <laughs> okay yeah it's an odd one isn't it because on one level that's kind of shocking but on another I'm not actually that surprised um at least certainly in the context of climbing I'm I, I can't imagine that being on any coaching curriculum um so what's the best way how are you how are you kind of bringing that in so um obviously the current situation has slightly changed it and we've been a bit adaptive to um, how we were approaching that but from the um, themes that came out of the interviews with the female athletes so there were like key themes such as symptoms impact on training performance um, management strategies openness of conversation and then one around menstrual health I then kind of used those themes as almost like the basis for different education um, and different workshops so I've actually started doing workshops with different um, sports in Wales now um, the the two that we've kind of started with have either been openness of conversation or menstrual health and okay. um, menstrual health talking a little bit more around like energy deficiency energy balance and the risks of having not enough energy to actually maintain a period sure. um, and the other one around openness of conversation so actually trying to get coaches talking um, and comfortable having conversations, but also helping them to think about the flip side of that as if they've got a female, a young female athlete especially, that isn't comfortable having that conversation. Um, actually, how do you approach that with them or how do you try and help them to engage and understand the importance of talking about their menstrual cycle? Mm. Okay, and do you find that because um, presumably you're dealing with female and male coaches, do you find that kind of receptiveness or experience is, is different across the genders in the education part of it? So one of the first things, um, one of the first times I piloted it actually was we just sent out um, an invitation and this was into athletics for um, anyone to come along and listen to, uh, you know, and talk around menstrual health. And I think all of two males came along to that. Um, and actually there were male coaches that had sent female, either volunteers or parents of um, some of the athletes they work with to come along and listen to that. Um, so that was actually quite a good experience for me, actually, to think, how do I make sure that males feel that A, that they should be involved in the conversations and B, kind of attract them to come along? Mm. um it has varied in different sports now so for example in swimming that's been we've been doing it more in a coaches forum session so actually a place where they do have conversations and discussions and that's been a lot more in those instances male predominant because there's a lot more male coaches than there are female coaches okay um, yeah 
So in that room, there's always maybe been, say, around 20 coaches, and maybe two or three of them have been females, okay. and the rest have been males. Um, and they've been really refreshing, actually. But yeah. The male coaches are super happy talking about it. Um, they want to learn more about the menstrual cycle. The, the almost barrier has been of knowing what to say back or what are the right words to say or what's going to be a, a good thing to say or what should I avoid saying, um, what's going to be seen as sexist versus mm. actually what's being seen as, fem- as um, like supportive yeah. um, to the females. So that's interesting. Been really insightful. Yeah, because I think I can imagine it comes across like male coaches or men might not be that interested, but I, I imagine it's more feeling out of your depth because, I mean, I can't imagine boys get much menstrual cycle education in, in their sex ed at school. And so actually, you know, where do you learn this stuff? And as a coach, you probably feel, it, it, I can imagine it might feel a bit scary to have a conversation about something that you really feel a bit out of your depth in. So it's great that you're, you're coming in and providing some education so that they feel more able to do that. Yeah, hopefully that's the plan. And I think that's a great point that you just touched on then is actually where do they learn it from? And it's actually even the same with some females is actually sometimes we have like one one-off session at school that says by the way you're going to have your period at some point or the other common places you learn it in biology at school which again is very much a bio- this is a biological process this is how the reproductive system works whereas it doesn't ever touch on actually how is that going to interact with how it makes you feel or how you're going to respond or vary from day to day yeah um, and so a lot of that is just through normally experience of whether they've had a girlfriend or a wife or just observing it within the group of females that they've coached. Sure, but not really understanding the nuances of it or the hormonal patterns or anything like that. And like you say, a lot of women don't even because it depends, I guess, how much you talk about it at home. But like you say, it can be so kind of biology or science driven at school rather than this kind of psychosocial model that we probably want to move more towards. I mean... I, I remember my sex ed at school being a bit more like, just don't have sex because you might get pregnant. Like, <laughs> abstinence is just the best way <laughs> or go on the pill. You know, like I seem to remember that being the gist of it. And luckily I had a really supportive and open um, environment at home to learn more. But if you don't have that, it can be quite kind of stilting if you don't get more information. Um, so obviously we've talked about how you're bringing in more kind of education and workshops around that kind of elite sport but is there is there room for your project to expand into more grassroots level stuff yeah definitely so actually that's that's kind of where I'm getting really quite excited about actually is at the moment identifying some of that work we're doing actually would equally be applicable to grassroots community sport and even beyond that so kind of just females general female participation so within schools girls do still stop participating in sport because of um, their menstrual cycle whether that's linked to the actual physical symptoms of it or because actually they're embarrassed or they're worried that someone else is going to be able to see that they're on their period um, so they actually stop participating in sport um, so for me that's actually an area that I'm kind of quite passionate about at the moment and trying to move forward really of how can I use some of this information and knowledge that we've kind of started collecting within elite sport and be able to share that with the wider community so actually some of the coach education around openness of conversation there's nothing within that that actually can't be applied within a local club that's coaching especially coaching younger females Um, If anything, they're probably more likely to be influenced by their menstrual cycle than the older elite athletes that have had time to either try contraceptives, almost like where we're at now, you know, we've been through what it feels Mm. like to have symptoms, try a contraceptive, maybe change our minds and have all those experiences. Whereas when you first start your period, it's like, what what is going on? How do I deal with this? Um, they may be more likely to have severe symptoms of heavy bleeding or severe cramps. Um, so actually, how can we try and support that wider community to keep girls 
like involved in sport. Yeah, because actually that's the demographic that will become the elite athletes or not if they drop out of sport. And although it's important to kind of educate that elite level, I mean, in some ways it's almost like a bit late, isn't it? Because you've already lost a lot of um, women and girls before that, or they've, you know, not wasted is the wrong word, but spent a lot of time, wasted a lot of time, maybe not doing what's best for their body or um, or connecting with it as well as they could do. So bringing it in earlier is is, yeah, great. Yeah, I just feel like it'd be a bit more of a proactive approach. I mean, if I can continue doing the work um, with the kind of coaches, maybe at the higher elite end, but hopefully we'll be able to start going into a bit more detail with them then if you've got a female who is aware of their cycle, have had conversations, um, and like whether the coach is comfortable having conversations, we can delve a little bit more into performance rather than kind of more kind of the underpinning just getting started which if we can do that at a younger age then obviously we can just keep improving that um trajectory of improving performance and do you think in that kind of that younger age category that kind of more grassroots area do you think boys and girls educated on these things together or separately or in different ways or what do you think the best approach there is that's actually a conversation I've been having quite a lot recently as to how okay. do we approach it um that's actually one thing that's been coming up quite a lot within the coach education sessions as well is actually if we educate our athletes how do we what's the best way should it just be girls should it be boys um one of the things for me that I keep coming back to is actually when you're at school you're split into girls and boys to have this conversation but actually straight away does that promote that actually it's not something we talk to males about it's not something we share because probably before that conversation or before girls are aware of periods they would speak quite openly about it to boys and not know that it's not something we shouldn't talk about or it's something we should keep secret mm. um so actually I think it's just as important for boys to they maybe don't need the full information detail that girls have around how they can manage their symptoms and but actually to to be involved in that initial conversation of how to talk about it, what it is, how it can affect you. So I think that's also quite important for, especially if you've got like a group training environment of boys and girls. Actually, if you've got girls that are one day feeling a little bit grumpy, a bit moody, and the boys are like, what's wrong with her today? Mm. Actually, it could be really good awareness and kind of promote a really positive environment to have, have the open conversations and know that it's not something that should be secret. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think you mentioned before as well that you were trying to get an idea of female coach experiences and their influences. So did you interview female coaches as well as female athletes or by? Yeah. So okay. That's one of the, yeah. No, 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 that's right. That's one of the things. Um, so alongside the coach education, another area I've been working on is, um, one of the things I suppose that came just out from those interviews again was if you've got a female coach that's experienced a lot of premenstrual symptoms, does that mm-hmm. impact on how they coach compared to maybe a female that has no symptoms? Because we are aware that all females will have such a different individual response. Mm. Um, some might be able to literally list off a whole load of premenstrual symptoms and others might say they've never been affected at all. Um, so it's trying to find out if that impacted at all a on how they coach but b also on their experiences within their workplace so actually if they've got a lot of symptoms and they're trying to coach or they're they're at the olympics trying to coach their athlete and they've got a lot like really severe premenstrual symptoms does that impact how do they how do they manage that Mm. um so i've actually just finished those interviews so i'm at the stage now to analyze and write those up um which has been really interesting talking to the the female coaches about that Mm. um I suppose one of the things I was just trying to understand a little bit more was do female coaches that have never experienced anything does that then make them less maybe empathetic to any of their athletes that do have those symptoms um even more so than male coaches that don't experience 
a menstrual cycle at all because they're female and they're saying actually it doesn't affect me so I think mm. you should just get on with it basically um, sure yeah it's a difficult to, space that actually isn't it yeah. when people are having such a wide variety of of experiences it's hard to know what, how much is just a variety in symptoms and how much is a difference in say I don't know pain threshold or that kind of thing and I can imagine that kind of mentality yeah being unhelpful so yeah just really just trying to explore that area I suppose mm. and explore that space to see but also those female coaches and also practitioners do they have the support within their roles um if they experience any symptoms or how do they deal with it yeah um, so just really trying to explore that from almost like two different angles of their own experiences and managing it, but also how that influences any of their coaching, um, okay. either in training or at competition. And do you find that um, parents, especially with younger athletes, have an influence? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Laughter straight away. Laughter. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, it's been really interesting, actually, that it definitely seems... Again, this is probably just an observation and kind of my opinion at this stage, um, mm. that it depends on how open and uncomfortable parents are having conversations as to whether um, females are as well. And definitely there's been, um, I can tell a couple of little comments that we've had from coaches that you've got, they're trying to talk to um, their female athletes about the menstrual cycle and you've got parents who are just like, just mortified that that conversation's come up or that that topic's been brought up mm. um and in just it's definitely been in some instances it's almost parents maybe need more education as well as coaches mm. um to help support that when you've got especially I think back when I was a swimmer and you do have instances when females stuck come on their periods and they're on poolside and you can imagine the combination of bleeding combined with water on poolside it obviously makes it look yeah just 10 times worse than it actually is anyway and just having like one parent who was just absolutely mortified that that had happened um oh. and actually the female was just like I've just come on my period it's fine it happens but actually it was the parents that were more kind of mortified by what had happened so definitely there is the space there um, for how parents are involved and included. Mm. Um, I suppose there's that generational difference, isn't there, that although we think there's not enough kind of talking and education now, it's probably, you know, worse for our parents' generation and, you know, the generation before that, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember my mum telling me actually she didn't know it was a thing at all when she started a period, literally no one had told her. Um, so she thought she was dying actually when she, you know, she thought she was having some kind of, um, awful internal bleeding because no one had mentioned it to her. So she didn't even know it was a thing. I mean, that must've been terrifying. So I suppose we have come some distance from that. hundred percent. That was actually one, one of the females that I interviewed said the same. She was just like, I went to my mum and said, I'm dying because I was bleeding. Oh gosh, um, like, thing. oh it's fine. You've just started your period because she was quite young. I think she was only like nine or ten. Sure. Um, but again, like if you were that young and haven't had any information, or you would just be like, "What is happening? Why am I bleeding?" Yeah, it just um, goes to show how early we have to have these conversations in order to catch that earlier group. Because I mean, some women start nine years old, and some don't start till they're sixteen, seventeen, and you just don't know. Um, when that's going to be in terms of the education in schools how would that work who would be doing that or would it be something that you'd be I guess hoping to get more into a um, curriculum yeah I think it's um exploring the options at the moment as to whether that's through um you know linking in with Welsh government to see what their plans are or connecting with um so it's Sport Wales we've actually got like a young ambassador scheme and they kind of very much are quite proactive and involved within their communities, either within sport or within school. So again, mm-hmm. actually, how can we get them involved and potentially almost use sport as a bit of a driver to get that within schools? Um, so even if to start off with, we link in with maybe P at school to start sure. helping provide some of that education. Um, I think there's lots of different avenues that could, we could go down. Um, 
getting in touch at the moment with different kind of um, local councils, um, youth sport trust, different, yeah, just different avenues of actually how could we try and try and integrate some more of that education with the younger females. Yeah. Like you said, at the moment, if they do receive anything, they might be like maybe year six, year seven. So they'd be mm-hmm. like, what, 12, 13? Whereas if you've got girls who are 10 starting their periods and you know, they're like, great, I've had like three years. <laughs> yeah. And now you're telling me about my period. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, nice one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and also how is it, so it's not just a one-off, how is it something that we actually shift that that perception and that experience that it's just something that's a biological process, the same as if we talk about heart rate or got a temperature, it's just another vital sign that women have. And actually how can we just, make it and start shifting that perception so that's what it is um it is rather than any shame or secrecy around it yeah removing some of the mystery I guess and uh, yeah, yeah. Normal, normalizing it um and I wanted to pick up again on that challenge kind of threat thing you were talking about that came up a lot in the female climbers interviews that you did and you said it came up more in climbing that women were kind of more fearful or scared um during that week before their period And is that something you're interested in following up more, looking more into? Yeah, definitely. It's something I want to look into. And I've started doing some reading to start learning a little bit more around challenge and threat states. Um, Mm. And then seeing if there is anything out there at the moment that relates menstrual cycle to that or actually what is happening from a hormonal perspective, interactions, um, within that system that might be causing those shifts um, is it actually something biological that's happening or is it um, a perception and trying to delve a little bit deeper into that to understand um, and also interestingly why was that reported more in climbing than other sports so is it the kind of risk element involved that is kind of related to that um, yeah, so what, what aspects are actually causing that to be reported more compared to a controlled sport? So say like weightlifting, that wasn't anything that was reported at all of like fear of not being able to, um, what happens if I drop a weight on me or that nothing like that was reported compared to climbing where you've got the um, risk of falling um, yeah. and that kind of increased fear. I suppose though, even when you're on a more emotional, hormonal, even keel, like it is quite an adrenaline-y sport and there is a lot of, like there's a huge mental aspect to climbing and being able to push through that kind of fear threshold. And it might, it's not, I guess, well, again, speaking from my experience, it's not necessarily that you're not scared half the time and then suddenly scared. It's just that that threshold moves and it becomes more or less manageable. Um, yeah, you can kind of push through it on some days and just not on others. Yeah, but it's I it's a constant background thing. Yeah, it's it's always there. But for from my personal experience, when I'm climbing, it's more that that week before I just can't almost like rationalise that fear. I and I become more irrational in other aspects as well. Mm. But all of a sudden, you can't like you can almost like deal with it and go like reassure rationalize what you're doing and how you're processing and all of a sudden it's like my brain's just going no I can't deal with this why am I doing this what am I doing Mm. um and it becomes a lot more um unable to control that thought process yeah so um yeah I just want to definitely look more into that that challenge threat state so it within the month if we got times when you know that kind of pre-ovulation stage where we're high estrogen really motivated actually we we do we perceive things to be more as a challenge and therefore we're more kind of determined and able to push through that compared to when we're maybe more in a luteal phase where you've got um different hormone levels and does that actually then perceive you to to be more protective and also almost from like a bit of a as we've progressed, is that linked because we're our bodies almost preparing ourselves to be pregnant? So actually our bodies are kind of evolutions almost making us think actually your body's in a state where right now we're preparing you to be pregnant. We don't want you to do anything risky. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um 
So they're all kind of questions that I've got buzzing in my head at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. Where I'd like to take my research next to look into that a little bit more. Yeah, it was interesting to hear, actually, I recorded a podcast with um, Stacey Sims a few weeks ago, and it was interesting to see, to hear her talking about the biological kind of uh, mechanisms that might be at play with estrogen because obviously well we have this kind of estrogen spike around ovulation and then it remains high in the luteal phase and then drops just before you have your period and she was saying that the estrogen crosses the blood-brain barrier and affects neurotransmitters that control fear and anxiety so that there was this effect on serotonin effectively that when your estrogen drops you can end up getting this kind of serotonin dump and anxiety is higher and, and all those kinds of things so it was interesting and obviously, I imagine there's room for research in that area to develop and solidify more. But it, it's interesting that there is at least some dialogue over the actual biological effect, as well as what we're talking about with that kind of psychological, social, environmental side. Yeah, that was great listening to her. And also um, started down into a little bit, again, this is very early days around actually she touched on, I think, around nutrition and using leucine to counteract mm. some of that. So yeah. actually... What, how is that all interacting um, with also perceptions of symptoms around like not feeling so coordinated or feeling more crum- clumsy or feeling weaker? So mm. how does that also then, how do they match up? So actually, is it some of those feelings that are driving that increased fear as well because you don't feel that you're at your best? Yeah, of or, course. Or you, know, you feel like you can be very coordinated. Um, is that more of a driver as well so those females that experience those symptoms are they kind of more towards that that feeling perceived threat or um fear? yeah of course because it's much easier to kind of run it out above your gear or your bolt or whatever if you feel strong and kind of secure on that terrain but if you're suddenly like yeah. inaccurately slapping bolts and feeling <laughs> weak then yeah for sure it gets a lot scarier doesn't it um okay cool and and where do you see your work going in the kind of next, I don't know, year, two years, or even 10 years time? Do you have yeah. any kind of big, um, broader things that you're like, oh, eventually I want to get to this subject area? So I think um, definitely would want to pursue staying in, around the menstrual cycle, but maybe start looking, um, carry on exploring a little bit to start off with. So actually exploring a little bit more with coaches, with parents um, and younger athletes, looking a bit more in detail around um, actually how are those different um, demographic groups affected by the menstrual cycle, what is their knowledge and awareness. And then after that, hopefully, if we can start kind of shifting and getting some of the coaches and athletes um, kind of more open and confident talking about the menstrual cycle, actually then start looking into how does the menstrual cycle interact with training. So at the moment, um, from my personal perspective, I think the research is quite variable still in training mm-hmm. and, um, and also maybe not explored in different sports. So actually, how can we start exploring that in different sports longer term and looking at the physiological responses um, training session like response to one session and then looking at maybe if you've got different orders of sessions does that interact with the menstrual cycle um I suppose one question for me that is quite an answer as well is the impact of the contraceptive pill or different forms of contraception there's so many it's a yeah where do you start with that but how does that interact with different training and responses um, again, things are starting to come out on this, which is really, really exciting. But I think we've still got quite a long way to go um, to learn more of that. But it'd be great to see and contribute to the research so it starts becoming a bit more equal to that that's been done in sports science in males. Mm, so, yeah, we just need more data, don't we, really, to be able to yeah, give so, solid guidelines and recommendations. I mean, most of the stuff that we see at the moment is like interesting mechanistic um concepts and ideas with some some things backed up here and there but then also a lot of like you know it's mainly just track your personal n equals one experience and then apply what you can to kind of manage that really well which is a great start and it's great that people are talking about it more but it would be nice to have some more solid um research yeah 
yeah because there's like so many areas popping up but also so many areas that it could influence so um I've got a, there's a few people um it work is actually how does it interact with females that have concussion or how does it affect injury uh let alone just actually how it affects your training responses mm. um, and at the moment obviously we are using even like in the area of nutrition, actually, a lot of the research has been done in males and we just transfer that over to females. Sure. But actually, how do the reproductive hormones influence all those areas? Um, so, yes, there's. I'm definitely at a stage where I've been talking to a few people recently and we've got all these ideas. It's yeah. like, where do we even begin? What's the starting point for the research on this? Yeah, there's so um, many places to go and... Um... Because I guess then you've also got, you know, like um, perimenopause and um, the period of menopause and then postmenopause and female athletes who are who are still pushing it um, as they get older and how that hormonal change will affect things and you know, female athletes going through pregnancy and breastfeeding and those things. I mean, I've heard, I mean, again, it's probably a myth. I've heard a lot of like women obviously post-recovery, postpartum recovery, having kind of strong baby hormones. And I don't know if that's just a myth um, to, uh, to change our perception of, of what it is to have a baby as an athlete. But um, that's super interesting as well, you know, how your body changes and what your body goes through and how athletes might kind of consider and interpret that journey. Yeah, I think that's that, like you said, it's just a whole nother area, isn't it, to try and maybe explore and actually, you know, so many, so many more females now are kind of coming back from pregnancy and still performing really, really well. Um, and it's definitely a space that I think is starting to be considered more. But mm. I think just the knowledge and information on that. I've definitely listened to a few talks, which are actually really interesting um around females perceptions of when they've come back from from um pregnancy into elite sport and actually what that journey has been like okay um, but uh yeah it's it's another area. i think that's even like maybe further behind than where currently just lo- looking at the menstrual cycle in athletes is yeah um, and even just space within if i think out of sport like how does the metro cycle impact females within their daily role so actually if you've got a lecturer for example that doesn't feel as confident like in that premenstrual week does that affect the impact on learning of those students that are sat in that lecture or um, what about if we go to an interview I remember when I had my PhD vibe it was like the first day of my period and I was just mm. sat there and you're just sat there thinking okay actually you can do this and we can perform on any day of the month but it's more actually then from and this is again personally dealing with that perception of actually I didn't perform as well as I think I could have so although I still performed I still passed my my viva um but actually having that reflection it's the same for athletes but again in day-to-day life of that management of actually I've prepared for this I've worked really hard I've done if you're an athlete all the the train I can but on this day I've just not been able to perform as I wanted to um, yeah and I guess it's having that awareness and that self-knowledge so that you can actually kind of ameliorate some of the issues that might come up on that day and you're not kind of just side blinded uh, blindsided by the whole thing um <laughs> yeah 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 because I mean that has huge implications I mean we could go off on some huge big tangents yeah, here sorry, but it's huge a massive tangent there. no no it's great I love tangents but um they could have huge implications on professional development, for example, in the same way that taking a break to have children will on a smaller scale, having that period every month, if it really wipes you out for a week or you're, you know, quite incapacitated by cramps, that could have an effect on exam results. It could have an effect on, um, kind of professional development. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're struggling in some way without support or without that self-knowledge, um, of being able to, um, help with some of those symptoms. Yeah, I think definitely one of my aims is just how can we support females so that they can perform on any given day of their menstrual cycle? Mm. Um, and what steps do we need to put in place and research to kind of support that and provide that underlying evidence of informing females that actually the week before, if you're feeling really rubbish, here are some things that you can do so that you still perform at your best. Um, yeah, that's probably... Yeah. 
one of the key key message really big mm. picture <laughs> yeah 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 no, really definitely like to to achieve. that's great oh well it's been really it's been really interesting talking to you is there anything else that we haven't covered that you're you'd, you'd like to go into before we kind of start to wrap things up um I think I've probably gone off on quite a few tangents already I think uh, yeah just um definitely just how we can start increasing the conversation and opening that up to more females as well being involved in that um, and then hopefully as well males males kind of leading and joining that too that'll be definitely one thing to explore more yeah yeah no that's great and if people want to find out more about you or what you do is, is there anything I can yeah, point so, them towards yeah um starting getting there so I've got my twitter um and First of all, probably email as well. So if I okay. give you my email, that's natalie.brown at swansea.ac.uk. Okay, I can link to that as well. So you can kind of link me into that and um, happy to receive any questions or if you want kind of any kind of conversations to further this and then Twitter as well. So that's natalie and school 107. Um, so I can kind of link that in as well. Cool. Oh, thanks so much for chatting. It's been great. And um, yeah, I'll link to that stuff in the show notes. So if people get, have any more questions or want to get in touch, um, they can do. That'd be brilliant. Thanks so much, Mina. It's been amazing talking to you today. No, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on.